0: When it comes to cybersecurity, is the cloud the problem or the solution? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. In recent weeks, we've witnessed an alarming number of cybersecurity breaches, both from foreign governments and private hackers. With the cloud becoming an indispensable part of so many IT systems, you have to wonder whether it's making them even more vulnerable or not. My guest today is Jeff Schilling, Chief Security Officer of Armored Defense. He believes the cloud to be an essential weapon against modern-day cyber attacks, at least when companies and individuals take the proper steps to secure their systems and data. We'll learn what they should be doing and where many of them are falling short in their security programs. We'll find out where the biggest vulnerabilities lie, and we'll get an answer to the question, is anybody truly safe? So here is my conversation with Jeff Schilling. Jeff Schilling, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me here today.
0: Jeff, how would you generally characterize the security of the cloud today?
1: I think that it's improving. When I was in the military about in 2010, I I did a public speaking event, and someone asked me, how do we get the initiative back from the cyber threat? And I felt back then in 2010 that our opportunity was the cloud. But what we saw from 2010 to, I would say, to about 2015, 2016, is that no one was putting security in the cloud, and no one was designing their architectures to be defended in the cloud. But I think that we, with a lot of the major breaches that have happened over the last couple of years, there are more and more companies now that are focused on security in the cloud, as well as trying to meet some of the compliance regulations, such as payment card industry regulations in the cloud. So I I would say... Early 2010 to to about 2013, 2014, almost no one was doing security, and now I think we're heading in the right direction.
0: I'm a little surprised to hear you say that because initially when the cloud first became a thing, one of the big points about it that caused people to hesitate adopting it was the question of security. So I would have thought security would have been front and center from the moment the cloud emerged, but you're saying not necessarily.
1: No, I mean, if you go back in history, I come from military Department of Defense background, and you can thank us for the lack of security in the current Internet that we use today because a lot of the TCP IP networks and then the World Wide Web was all built out of ARPANET, that the concept started in the 60s, and then we started connecting nodes in the 70s and 80s. And anybody who was connected to that program, which I'm not quite old enough to be connected to that program, We'll tell you that security was never a part of the contract, and and what I saw is the exact same thing happening in cloud. Uh, you know, we were making the exact same mistakes that we made when we built the first TCP/IP networks, and when we started building out in the cloud, there was all this excitement and the agility and being able to spin up and spin down machines relatively effortlessly. But then security became a uh, an afterthought.
0: How would you assess the security of the cloud versus that of traditional on-premises or client-server applications?
1: I tell you, if I, I mean I'm at the company I'm at now, Armored Defense, because I think that the cloud is is the way to get ahead of the threat and get the initiative back because you can build it, it is so easy to build a architecture that can be defended if you know how to build a security architecture in the cloud and then it, you also have the ability to put sensors in places in inside of your network where the threat actors don't know you have sensors and be able to see their actions and they have no way to tell how you've seen what they've done. The other great thing about the cloud, when you go through an incident response, you discover that you have an incident, and then you do the analysis to figure out what happened, and then you do a containment and eradication plan. And that is very, very difficult in the uh, legacy network architectures of the past, whereas in the cloud, you can literally tear down a, an environment with thousands of servers and re-spin it within minutes. So that agility to sensor, and then be able to contain a threat and eradicate them relatively quickly has really led us to a paradigm where in the cloud you don't really necessarily have to know if you've been compromised. If you even think you've been compromised, then you can just Respin your servers and fix whatever vulnerability that you may have had in your workloads.
0: What an interesting perception because so many people, at least in the early days of the cloud, said, well, again, the cloud is a security threat. So we're not sure that it's secure, but you're making the point here that there are ways in which it is even more secure than, as you say, the legacy systems, the on premises, the client server type applications.
1: Oh, absolutely. I-, I think that what folks haven't gotten their head wrapped around yet is the ability to build that zero-trust environment. When I talk to a lot of CISOs today who are our clients or or just folks that I'm associated with, when you ask them to describe their network, they say, well, my my network's kind of like a jelly donut. It has an out hard outer crust. But Inside, it's a gooey middle, meaning they don't have true segmentation between what's what should be public-facing and what should be segmented away from public-facing. And in the cloud, you really have the ability to build a architecture that allows you to take advantage of true segmentation and orchestrate that segmentation through security controls that are software as opposed to hardware, which that makes it less of a
0: challenge. Well, when things do go wrong in today's cloud technology, what goes wrong? Where are the biggest vulnerabilities in the cloud today?
1: What we've seen in our experience is still there's a lot of homegrown code and development that during the development process they're not adhering to some good security principles what I would call secure software development life cycle of making sure that you're doing uh, static testing with your code as you write it and then before you deploy it you do dynamic testing to look to one to identify all the ports and protocols that are open and what communicates between which systems and having visibility of that before you deploy to the cloud. Typically what we see are a lot of folks will stand up their development capabilities in the cloud and they'll kind of play with it until they figure out how to get it working. So that's obviously not a good approach because what happens is some of our studies have shown that when you throw what we call a honeypot, which is kind of like a target that you'd want a threat actor to hit, as soon as you stand it up in the public cloud, It is being scanned within two minutes by a threat actor looking for vulnerabilities. And in some of our uh, honeypot exercises we've done, we've had actual threat actors logging onto those honeypots, meaning they've, they've gone through the exploitation phase of what we call the kill chain of actually getting that first foothold in the server within 10 minutes. If you don't build that security architecture first, then spin up your servers, that's probably the most common mistake that we see.
0: What have we learned from recent hacks, whether commercial or government, whether it's the Russians or the Chinese or it's uh, corporate thieves, uh, whether it's Target? Or, I'm not even sure if all of those are related directly to cloud technology or not, but what are they telling us and how are they helping us to make the cloud more secure?
1: Well, i tell you, as I've been watching over the last couple of years, um, one of the things you've got to think about the cloud that's different than your traditional networks is the data doesn't really move. I mean, you may replicate data between different clouds. But for the most part, the data is centric and it's the user that's moving all around the place. And you have that ubiquitous user who has to authenticate to their workload to access their data. And so what I've seen, you know, you can take any of the famous hacks. One of the things that we've learned is that your identity is the new security perimeter. I've heard a lot of CEOs of identity management companies throw this talking point out there, and I think it's right on. we got to look about how do you track the identity of users, because in our new cloud environment, users or the Internet of Things devices could be literally anywhere, and it could be constantly moving. I could be Jeff Schilling- on my laptop inside of my corporate headquarters, or it could be Jeff Schilling on my mobile phone, getting ready to board a plane. And the identity piece is something that has to be hardened. The other lesson that I think I've learned and when it comes to cloud is unlike your traditional network, you want to start thinking about your security from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. Meaning when you stand up that database and in the core of every application or everything that's spun up in the cloud is that database. And whether you're getting it as a platform, as a service from your provider or you're, you're building your own traditional database, starting with database encryption, making sure you turn that on. Um, because if a threat actor can't, even if they're able to compromise your database, which is the ultimate goal that they're trying to get to, If they can't steal the data in bulk because it's encrypted or if they do get it and it's encrypted, then they haven't really succeeded in what they're trying to do. And then from there, you you think about your segmentation between your your database, your application and and whitelisting, what actually happens between those applications and database, what calls are allowed, and and you whitelist those. And then whatever your public-facing device is, whether it's a web server or some type of connection server for, say, a mobile app. Again, you want to whitelist and have some good authentication so that the user from their handheld device or their laptop is encrypted to the interface point to the application, and then they interact with the data, but they never pull the data to the endpoint. I think that's where we're seeing a lot of banking gaps go, and I personally love that direction that they've gone. And it's really made it much harder for the threat actors to get in between those communications.
0: You mentioned the Internet of Things. I'm wondering if the emergence of IoT devices in in such quantities has raised a whole new level of threat. Are we keeping up with that?
1: The Internet of Things is not much different from Jeff running around with a mobile device. It is a device that is connected through some type of connection server to an application and to a database. And I think that from the application to the database, most people are thinking about how do I secure that, how do I authenticate. But I think where we see the real weakness in the Internet of Things is in the actual product development of the thing itself and making sure that they think about cybersecurity all the way through to what type of encryption are they using from the endpoint, what type of authentication are they using from the uh, Internet of Things. We saw the Mariah botnet generate uh, one terabyte worth of DDoS attacks against some very high profile customers, which is just off the charts of what we would have ever thought. And when you look back at the root cause, the reason why that was able to happen was because of weak passwords or, or users unable to change default passwords in a few hundred Internet of Things devices. And then this, all this software did was log on to all these devices and then use their always on, always connected status to generate some, some tremendous power with uh, DDoS.
0: DDoS, distributed denial of service. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to how your military experience informs your expertise and your approach to security. Coming out of the military, how how does that define you and what did you learn from that and, and what do you bring to the table based on that experience?
1: Well you know i I spent a majority of my military career about the first nineteen years working with tactical organizations and and I was always the kind of like being the CIO of an infantry unit or an air defense unit and One of the things that I learned was just the basics of security operations and how we do it in the real world and then applying some of those same principles to cyberspace. I studied a lot of military history as part of my military education. And one of the things that I learned is that the reason why General Lee during the Civil War was so successful early on was because he fought most of his battles in the defensive And what a lot of folks don't realize is that he was an engineer, not necessarily an infantryman or or a field artilleryman, and he knew how to use terrain to his advantage. And so I have a talking point that I use all the time when I'm coaching folks or when I'm doing a public speaking event, that about 90% of our security problems can be solved by building the right architecture to start with. I I don't know anybody who's who's ever stood or sat on top of a – very complex organization, like for me with DOD and and then the Army's Global Security Operations Center, who would ever tell you that, man, they designed this thing right, and, and the reason why we lost this fight or we were losing this fight was because our tools and our capabilities weren't good. My experience was it was always the cyber terrain was not oriented that allowed me to be successful in the defense
0: what about your experience in the private sector? You directed global incident response at Dell SecureWorks. What did that bring to the table? Is there were there differences there between your experience there and in the military with regard to cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always tell folks that uh, when I was running the security and operations centers in in the DOD and the Army, I was kind of like a goalie on the field playing on a goal that was 30 feet wide and 15 feet high. And there was at least a thousand balls being kicked at me every day. (laughs) And the great thing about that that role with SecureWorks is I tell folks it was like coming off the soccer field and getting up in the press box and watching how, because we we helped over 300 customers in, in the two years that I worked there, and watching those Customers play the game and, and really learning what were they doing well and what weren't and what what wasn't going right. And so when you're down on the field and, and getting kicked in the face every day, it's really difficult to be introspective and to think about what lessons learned. But when you're when you're running a, a consulting firm that's helping other folks through their worst day, I tell you a lot of things um, kind of fell out that uh, I applied when when I came to this job here at Armor. As the uh, chief security officer and some of the principles that we use inside of our uh, security program are, are lessons I learned from that.
0: You've already given a partial answer to this question, but I want to sum up with some takeaways here. Ask you, what should companies with systems in the cloud be doing right now to protect their data, their money, and their intellectual property?
1: Well, first off, you need to understand exactly what the cloud provides for you out of the box. There are a lot of folks who get confused because the a lot of the clouds will say, well, you know, we're HIPAA compliant and or we're PCI compliant, payment card industry compliant. And when you read the fine print, it's only to their hypervisor level, their infrastructure that they take responsibility for. There's a lot of stuff above that infrastructure that, that the customer has to do. So step one is understand what your provider provide is, is doing for you and what you need to, to do. And it's called the shared responsibility model. And then after they do that, they have to assess, OK, for us, we bucketize it into about 19 functions that have to happen in order to have great security in the cloud and also be compliant. And and so it's now li- line-eyed now, what can I do myself and what should I go to a third party who does this better than we can do it and bring them in to augment the capabilities that I can do myself? And then, as I said, your, your ultimate strategy when you're building in the cloud is to start with your security from the inside out. The first thing that you want to do is to set up your security groups and, and dictate what the functions and roles are going to happen in each of those security groups And then from there, start building out your workloads and then whitelisting what connectivity you allow between those different zones or security groups. And then from there, make sure that you have your security model in mind of how you're going to protect your whole virtual private cloud and get that in place before you start putting any of your production assets in there. A lot of folks think, well, no one knows I'm in the cloud, I'm not advertising it, and I'm just working on my development uh, environment, trying to make my application work. I don't need any security. Uh, You know, remember what I said about the honeypots that we've stood up, usually within two minutes they've already been scanned by a threat actor looking for vulnerabilities. So think about building a secure infrastructure first, then building out the rest of your uh, workloads.
0: So let's say I'm a company that's utilizing the cloud services of Amazon Web Services. Throw it over the fence, say, hey, AWS takes care of it, I don't have to worry about it. Not a good way to think, right?
1: It's not. AWS is a great company, and uh, they're actually a partner of ours. We protect a lot of folks in AWS. They have this saying that they provide protection of the cloud, and then the customers are responsible for protection in the cloud. Now that draws a visual if you if you think about that visually that makes you feel like that they're providing a protection layer that encapsulates everything that you're doing in the cloud when they say they're the security of the cloud but when you actually look at their website and their shared responsibility model you'll see that anything that happens above the hypervisor from the operating system to the uh, to the application stack is all the responsibility of the customers to protect. And the great thing about AWS is they have done a great job of now starting ex- to expose some of the logging features and, and allow you to see some of the things from the infrastructure and bring that into your holistic uh, security strategy. But you have, but first you have to know about them, and then two, you have to have the ability to actually consume those logs and then do do some analysis with those logs.
0: Who in the organization should be tasked with the responsibility of overseeing cloud security and cybersecurity?
1: the buck always stops with the person at the top of the stack and for me that's always either the uh, depending if the chief information security officer works for the cio then it should be the cio's responsibility and then they should hold everybody accountable down to uh what i would call the first layer of of the person who's actually getting into the cloud and designing how the cloud's going to be which would most companies would be say the cloud security ar- architect or or maybe it's just the cloud architect if they don't have a secure, separate security team But I think that you have to enumerate those responsibilities and actually document them at all levels so that people know what what they're accountable for, especially um, what standards they need to build out to.
0: So finally, taking into account what appears to be the incredible sophistication and resources of hackers today, many of them backed by foreign governments, the question is, is anybody truly safe in today's cloud environment?
1: Well, I like to say it this way, a little more positive. I'm kind of a glass uh, half full kind of guy. I, I think that the strategy is to narrow the surface area of attack that any threat actor could have against your environment and drive up the skill level of the threat actors that it takes to have any success. And I say that in in that uh, you'll never hear a security guy say that there's a such thing as a hundred percent protection. If you hear that term come out, then it's usually a marketing or a salesperson. A security person like myself will always say that I can never be a hundred percent protected, but I can reduce the risk to a level and make the bar so high for a threat actor to get any success in my environment that they're going to probably move to a softer target because at the end of the day for the criminal actors to get any return on investment they really want to go after low hanging fruit that they don't have to put a lot of effort and then there's a high payoff at the end and they've really kind of stayed away from the more hardened environments now that's not true for the determined actor you know say the the high highly skilled nation state actor who is driven by uh, really trying to get after a particular target but for a majority of the criminal gangs that we see out there in that in that more sophisticated criminal group, that has been the case is that they're still looking for the less hardened targets.
0: Jeff Schilling of Armor, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise with us on this critical issue of cloud security and cybersecurity. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Bob, I really appreciate your time here, and thank you for chatting with us today.
0: That was my conversation with cybersecurity expert Jeff Schilling of Armour, talking about the role of the cloud in protecting systems and data. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.